Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's the Crossover Sports Illustrated's NBA show. Breaking down the latest news, rumors, and everything in between. Here's your host, Chris Mannix and Rohan Lodkardy. This is the Crossover NBA podcast. I'm Chris Mannix coming to you from Los Angeles this week. And from Miami, charter member of Heat Media, Rohan Lodkardy. What's happening? Just... Do you ever think about, Mannix, the fact that you call me the Charger member of Heat Media, but what I am really is a creation in response to the Boston Media Mafia, which, as we know, uh, you yes. have deep roots in. So it's I do. It's kind of like you're Frankenstein, I'm Frankenstein's monster in a way. Well, on the uh, note of Boston Media Mafia, I did send a congratulatory text to Daryl Morey after he got his contract <laughs> extension last week. Well deserved. Well deserved. I mean, look, very well deserved. Did a nice job in the James Harden deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Things seem to be looking up in Philadelphia and got a big offseason ahead, but they got a whole bunch of cap space. So uh, good job, Daryl Morey. Now, oh. if Joel Embiid doesn't make the All Star starting group, uh, <laughs> do not blame it on me. Let's just so put that it's out a, there. A fragile detente has been reached. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Detroit Pistons are really bad. So we're going to spend part of this podcast talking about that. Not you and me talking about that. Uh, somebody much smarter on the Pistons than us. Uh, Omari Sankofa, who is the beat writer for the Detroit Free, Pet, uh, Free Press, he is going to join me later in the show to unpack everything that has gone wrong in Detroit. I watched that game on Monday night against Atlanta. I thought they were going to pull it off. Late. They were it better. Like they were better. Game. Right there at the end, then 
missed free throws, poor defense, bad shot selection, all the things that have defined this 24-game losing mm-hmm. streak. They roared their heads again, and the Pistons lost. This Thursday game, they've got Rowan against Utah. That is that's high noon in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> you, you lose that game, and um, I think we could see some changes uh, within that organization. That's just speculation. I'm not based mm-hmm. on any reporting I've done uh, about the Pistons. So stick around for that uh, later in the show. I want to start the show... Rohan, talking about the Knicks, who I saw play a couple of times over in the weekend. They made their Los Angeles swing. They got blitzed by the Clippers on Saturday. Did a nice job beating the Lakers uh, on Monday. Uh, Defense held up against the Lakers. Jalen Brunson made shots. Julius Randle's been on a tear as of late. He made some shots. So right now, the New York Knicks are 15-11, and uh, which if you look at their winning percentage – is right around the winning percentage they had last year. So Mm -hmm. they're kind of mirroring the success at this point of last season. Jalen Brunson, all-star. I think that's pretty clear. Julius Randle, all-star-ish type of year. As I mentioned, his last 10 games, look at the numbers, they've been off the charts. R.J. Barrett, not great the last couple of weeks, but still averaging like 19 a game and, you know, not a bad third option I think they're pretty deep you know Mitchell Robinson injury hurt but I think they can go nine ten deep Hardenstein is fantastic Hardenstein's a good player good player was a good signing um a Mm -hmm. couple of years ago uh but when I watched the Knicks and I wrote about this on SI.com like for the second year in a row I see a good team with a low ceiling right now if the playoffs started today the Knicks would play the Orlando Magic in the first round and the Magic are different than Cleveland last year. They're, I think they're more physical defensively, but I could see the Knicks winning that matchup because the mm-hmm. Knicks have more experience. Uh, you know, I, I just think they're... We've seen Brunson in the playoffs before. Yeah, yeah. All, all the reasons you, you might lay out. Uh, but just like last year, when they get to the second round, I give them almost no chance because if the playoffs started today, their second round matchup would be Boston. Uh, because of the quirks in the schedule, the Celtics have already beaten the Knicks three times during the yeah. regular season. So we kind of know how that matchup is going to play out. The Knicks have no answer for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Chris has Porzingis in the three games he's played against his old team is shooting like 52% from three. So that's a bad matchup for the Knicks. So when I watch the Knicks, it just feels like a lot of the same. Um are you seeing anything different? Does, does this team give you any kind of vibe that it can do more than what last year's team did? I think the way you described it was was really well said, which is like a, a very good team with a low ceiling. First and foremost, I want to say that Jalen Brunson, I think, has been one of the best signings of this decade. I think he revitalized that franchise. He is, I think, pound for pound, one of the toughest players in the NBA. I mean... When he gets into the lane and he he'll brush someone off with his shoulder, um, that's a tough dude. Uh, he gives everyone trouble, and I'm just a massive fan of his. It just feels like the Knicks are purgatory is too strong for where they are. It just feels like they're laying low. It feels like they're laying low, and I think everyone involved feels like there's a move for them to make. And I think one of the teams that's maybe been hurt by how good the Sixers have been this season is the Knicks, who I think uh, unsurprisingly were an Embiid destination, you know, maybe hoping that the Sixers would be imploding sooner rather than later. That hasn't been the case. You know, you mentioned Randall. He's on a hot streak. 
I'm at the point with Julius Randle. He could play well for 20 games in a row. I, I don't know that I'm ready to trust him in the playoffs. I mean, no, no, you, you doing, can't look his, yeah. his playoff. Look, his playoff shooting numbers over the last two years and all the series atrocious, even the one the Knicks won less. They're just bad. They're overall. It's like 33, 34% from the field, 28% from three. Mm-hmm. And that, like, that's no longer a super small sample size. That's right. like eight, 12 games, whatever it may be. Exactly. And you know, and I want to give him. I'll say this: he was dealing with an ankle injury in this in the playoffs last year. He had surgery in the offseason, but there were stretches in that Miami series where he just doesn't look engaged in the game, and that can't happen in the playoffs. You have to be engaged on both ends of the floor every second you're out there, and that that's honestly what gives me pause about this team making the kind of run. Let's say a Heat did last year, where they pull off an upset in the second round and go further. Is I have a lot of faith in Brunson. I mean, you mentioned Barrett. I don't think Barrett's ever going to be a star. I like him as a role player. I even don't mind him as a role player in a playoff series. But third best guy on a title team, I don't know. So I think until they find kind of the right guy to bring in next to Brunson, I'm with you that I'd I'd be very surprised, barring some serious injuries, of them ever getting past the second round with this current group. And that's not to insult what they've done because I really like watching this team play and they're competitive every night. Yeah, on Barrett, like the last, you know, really every year of his career, his his overall field goal percentage has been way too low. This year it's at forty two and a half percent. Last year it was forty three point four. I'm fine with his three point shooting. He's about thirty five percent from three. That's solid, but he is too inefficient. He's averaging mm-hmm. eighteen and a half points per game on what fifteen shots per game. He's got to be more efficient. It's not in it. that. So, but I am more concerned about Randall as your number two guy and Randall as the complement. Mm-hmm to Brunson in the playoffs. And that's where, you know, it it comes down to what the Knicks can do about it. And look, all these, you know, national pundits, and I guess that's us too, that are (laughs) calling on the Knicks to make a trade, whether it's Barkley or uh, Kenny Smith or Stephen A. Smith or anybody on ESPN that, you know, every NBA related show, it's, it's what are the Knicks going to do? Are they going to make a deal? I get why Knicks fans hate that. Like I do, because what has been the theme of the last 20 years in New York. It's a general manager making shitty trades. Yes, that too big of a Knicks swing. In. Yeah. Look, you can go back to Isaiah Thomas, who made one bad move after the other. The Stephon Marbury deal kind of highlighted Isaiah's tenure uh, <laughs> in L.A. You had uh, Glenn Grunwald, who did that atrocious Andrea Bargnani deal. That was awful. Uh, wow, Phil Bargnani. A, There's a name I have not heard in a long time. I know. Well, that was that was a bad deal. That was <laughs> yeah, Messiah yeah. Jury. That's probably why yeah, the Knicks are suing. That was like the, the Masai Ujiri like origin story. Is the yeah, Bargnani yeah. trade? Oh then man. Phil Jackson comes in. Phil yeah. Jackson comes in and does the Derrick Rose deal and the Porzingis yeah, like, trade. I mean, like the, the criticism of the New York Knicks over the years has been they get too aggressive on players that aren't worth it because every time. Mm-hmm in the last 20, 25 years that the Knicks have made a big deal, 90 plus percent of the time it makes them worse. So yeah. when, if and I'm a the Knicks other fan, team takes off, yeah. Yeah, if I'm a Knicks fan and I'm seeing all these people on TV or all these people on podcasts saying, make a deal, I have to be pulling my hair out to an extent because right, right. that's all they did for 20 years and it didn't do them any good. Um, that being said, they do need to do something to get to another level. This team, I think, is forever going to have a ceiling because we know 
what Brunson is, which is, you know, really, really good. We know what Randall is. We don't yet know all the way what R.J. Barrett is, but we've got a pretty clear idea. Same thing with Emmanuel Quickly and Quentin Grimes and some of the other guys on the roster. It is abundantly clear that this team needs another piece to be elevated to that Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia level in the Eastern Conference. The problem is, when you look around and you talk to people within the Knicks organization about their, quote, wish list, none of those guys are available, yeah. right? Yeah, Like you Giannis mentioned, is off Giannis, the board. Giannis off the board. Uh, Joel Embiid off the board. Like, could they take another swing at Donovan Mitchell? Maybe, you know, the way the Cavaliers' season is going, either, you know, probably not the trade deadline, but next summer with Mitchell having one year left in his contract, they're going to have to have a serious conversation with Mitchell about what he wants out of his next deal and where he wants to play. So maybe you take a swing at him, but right now, one of the reasons, it's not the reason, but one of the reasons the Cavs have struggled is that Mitchell is a small guard playing alongside another small yeah. guard yeah. in Darius Garland. It would be the exact same situation in New yep. York, you know, with, with Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. So I don't know if that's the deal where you kind of go all in on. Maybe if you have cap space to sign him, you do that, but do you deal your your draft capital, which is like something like eight first round picks mm -hmm. into 2026, some protections on a few of them. So it, it's not exactly that simple, but you got movable <laughs> contracts, a bunch of draft picks. I don't know where they shop those, those, those picks to. I, I don't know where they look at the moment. I mean, really I've looked across the league and it's like, who's worth it? Who, who which yeah. what player out there, what blockbuster deal makes them measurably better. Because I saw the athletic reporting, like the Knicks are looking for a Brock blockbuster deal. They've been doing that for years. Yeah. It, it just and hasn't like, Towns is a name floated. Towns, I mean, yeah, Minnesota has been incredible. Happen, but that's yeah. not going to happen while Minnesota yeah. is sitting at the is top of the Western well. Conference yeah. standings. I agree. Uh, one name I'll throw out, I don't think this is realistic. I will just float it as Zion Williamson. As someone who I think fits the bill and could maybe, there will be a conversation about it at some point. Not to get too existential here, because the Knicks are in kind of this weird spot where if you want to be like really kind of like mean about it or blunt about it, it's like, do we really think Jalen Brunson could be the best player in a title team? I don't know. I don't want to rule it out just because I like watching him play so much. But, you know, if you're being really honest about that, that's you're not sure about that. And they're just in a tricky spot because all these guys who could have been in contention this summer was the worst possible outcome for the Knicks, because Giannis gets Dame, uh, Embiid seems happier than he's ever been before, and those are the kinds of guys that can really elevate and change the ceiling of your team. So this might not be like the fun or like sexy podcast take, but and I think Knicks fans feel this way. They should be happy that they have a team that's now competed in the playoffs for years, can make the second round. Um, I like you think about teams like the mid 2010s Grizzlies or Raptors. I don't say the Knicks are quite at this level, but. Even having a successful run like this, I think is good for their franchise, especially when for the first, you know, 15 years of this century, they've kind of just been a laughing stock. Going from laughing stock to consistent competitor, I think is good. And maybe that opens the door for you two years from now, three years from now, when there's a star we haven't even thought of is now maybe taking the Knicks a little bit more seriously than they have in the last 10 years. Yeah, Zion's an interesting name, and I thought about him, but he's got what, like, Three years left his contract after this and season. That's going to have to be because the the relationship sours so much yeah. there. And, and look, if you're if you're the Pelicans, like if you're trading Zion for whatever the Knicks would be offering, which would be a haul, you'd be going into a rebuild 
in, in that yeah. situation because you're not going to build a contender around Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Herb Jones, and whatever smorgasbord of players and draft picks that the Knicks. I, it would it would be the it would be the Pelicans. So the way I'd slightly push back on that is the Pelicans would do that trade in a scenario where they felt like they could compete with their current core and use those Knicks picks to add a better complementary piece than Zion that maybe has a lower ceiling. But basically, they're they're taking the Knicks star hall and using it to make get their next star. I'm not saying it's realistic or <laughs> likely, but that would at least be the thinking behind it. Yeah, I mean, and clearly that's a decision that would be made in the offseason, not something yeah. they do yeah. for the trade deadline. I, I think, look, to put a button on it, short term, I wouldn't do anything if I was the Knicks at the mm-hmm. deadline. It, it could lead to some consternation in May when the Celtics drop kick them out of the playoffs <laughs> in the second round. But you know, better to do nothing, lose in the second round, and give yourself options going into the draft and going into free agency, and you know, another year contract a little bit better for Randall. Like, there's a lot. You have a lot more options, a lot more flexibility if you do something this off season rather than this season. But I think we both agree they're still a player away from uh, real success. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Let's speaking of success, the Los Angeles Clippers are really good. That's my hot take, Rohan, after watching <laughs> the Clippers win eight straight games. Uh Kawhi Leonard playing like the MVP, James Harden. Offensive Dynamo had a great game against Indiana uh, on Monday night, an Indiana team that doesn't defend anybody. Like, Indiana is one of the worst defensive teams. Like, I know there are a lot of positives in Indiana, but they aren't winning shit until they fix that defense. That's for sure. <laughs> they have just they're no just, size. None. None. They're just I mean, they not can't guard wing players. It. No. 
There's not. Uh, look, they, yeah. they were 0-5 after acquiring James Harden. Um, the offense over the last five games, they're averaging about 128 points per 100 possessions, just a, a, a wild number. Um, you know, they had 144 against the Knicks or something like that against uh, the the Pacers. Like they, They've just been putting up some staggering numbers. Kawhi has been outstanding. Norman Powell has been great coming off the bench. Um they are going to come into a tougher stretch of the schedule. The Indiana game was the first game of an extended road trip that takes them you know, through Dallas and Oklahoma City, and then eventually they play against Boston uh, before Christmas. But That'll be fun. That's going to be a fun game. The Celtics have a couple of fun games. Yeah. Clippers got a lot more interesting, and the Lakers got it's always <laughs> interesting on Christmas Day. So it's going to be a fun weekend for, for Boston. But um, are you buying the Clippers now? Like, is are, are we looking at them once again as being a legitimate title contender uh, among this field? So this is this is the version of the Clippers. This is why I gave them a B plus when they made the Harden trade. And what I wrote in there at the end of my grade was, if they get Harden on his best behavior, if they get the version of him that played with Durant and Irving in Brooklyn when that was clicking before the pandemic and the vaccine and all this other stuff, um, when that was when those three were actually on the court, I thought Harden was playing some of the best basketball of his career. And I think they've been fantastic. You know, one thing they did was they kind of finally split up Westbrook and Harden. I have to look at the numbers since they moved Westbrook to the bench, how many minutes him and Harden have actually played together. But like the first game, for example, they moved Westbrook to the bench. Or the second game, they staggered those two completely. They didn't share any minutes. Shout out to Russell Westbrook because he would have been, frankly, entitled, well within his rights to say, you moving me to the bench is bullshit. I sacrificed a lot for this team last year. I've put in the work. I'm an, I'm a former MVP in my own right. Like this is this is not cool, but he's thrived in that role. He's taken it in stride, and it's made the team really good. The starting five uh, with Man and Zubac surrounding their big three of Leonard, Harden, and George has been fantastic. You know they played one game against Denver, and they, in Denver they played them really well. That was a close game. It was interesting to watch them search for defense down the stretch. They went small actually. The P.J. Tucker thing's interesting. I don't think Tucker is happy there, and I don't imagine to be on this team for a long time. I but wouldn't deal him. I wouldn't deal him. He's I, too proven to be good against Kevin I, Durant and I Nicole agree, Jokic. But, I wouldn't deal but him for us. No. He, he's picking up those DNPs, but that's what I'm saying. Is that they the had, way it goes. You're picking yeah. up paychecks, too. It's the way yeah. it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he's had some interesting moments against Jokic, including in that game against the Nuggets where I thought if they had been more committed to working their offense while small, they could have gotten some good looks. So... I definitely think they're a contender. I mean, look at the West right now. I, I, I tweeted this the other day, but Mannix, I wouldn't say there's a likely chance, but there's a decent chance that the second round of the Western Conference playoffs does not include LeBron, Kawhi, Steph, or KD, who I believe have won nine of the last 12 finals MVPs. I think as of right now, the Clippers have the best chance out of that group to make the second round. I mean, the Lakers are on a slide. The Suns, who knows if you can trust them. The Warriors are the Warriors. But I'm impressed with the Clippers, and I definitely put them. I think I still have Denver number one, just because I don't think anyone has an answer for Jokic. But then you look at comparing them to Minnesota and Oklahoma City, who are great teams, but they don't have the experience. So I, I have the Clippers right up there with those guys. I think as long as Kawhi Leonard is able to Dude, be the how best about player, Kawhi, on the floor, man. look. I mean, look at his numbers just in December. He's averaging almost 30 points 
in December, shooting 62% from the field, 55% from three-point range. Against Indiana, he had 28 points in 27 minutes, uh, 36 against New York, 41 against Utah. I mean, he is just lighting it up, playing big minutes too. I mean, outside of that short stint against the Pacers, because that game was over uh, relatively early, uh, he's in the mid to high 30s for most of, of these games. That knee looks as healthy as it's been in a number of years. Look, the Clippers right now, and again, it's we're still in December, but they are top seven or top ten in uh, offense efficiency and defense efficiency. Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're your definition of a good team. Like yeah. they're they're really good in both categories, and I think they're only going to get better, especially offensively. You've seen the like the defense when they started to win games early on in early December, late November. Mm-hmm. The defense was kind of carrying them there. Like that yeah. was was how they were getting the job done because Kawhi, Paul George, Terrence Mann, among others, Zubach, good at the rim. Um, But now offensively, they've started to catch up. So I don't see any reason to believe they're going to take a step back offensively with this group. They're going to be good defensively. They're they're the real deal. They're they're, they're legit right now. I mean, Tice has given them really solid minutes. Shout out to him. Once they get Plumlee back, they'll have some better depth as well. How is Tice able to play in LA and not Indiana? I, I don't. Don't get that. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, just because he's surrounded by so much more talent, maybe that is part of it. But I guess. But if you're Indiana, you mm. mentioned like no rim protection there. Yeah, right? not that Tice is like this elite shot blocker, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, the Clippers, I think. <laughs> no, they no, listen, they're the... man. They've been awesome. They're right there with the Nuggets. I, I was curious. I haven't looked at the like literal records in a long time. Like they have the same number of losses. Denver's plays two more games and had two more wins. You know, the Nuggets yep. have, I think, obviously had their own injury issues, are clearly pacing themselves, but the Clippers are right there, man. And I, I something I think this is going to sound like insane, but I legitimately think about this all the time. Like, when was the last time LeBron, Kawhi, Steph, and KD all started and finished an NBA playoffs? I believe it was 2016. I was unsure if we'd ever see this from Kawhi again. And, like, you know, there was some stat going around. Like, he's played 19 games in a row for the first time and six or seven years like he's not only playing there are just some nights when you watch him and you're like no one's better at basketball than him like there are just some nights where you're like this guy's the best player in the world and it's old school basketball too yeah like they're they're throwing him you know mid post yeah that, that's kind of their fourth quarter offense and you're yeah waiting face for up elbow yep thing. yeah it's old school offense really fun to watch um yeah and if he's still playing like the best guy on the floor I, you know, I'm not going to say team to beat, but they're now on that upper tier. Yes, um, without a doubt. In the standings. Um, all right, speaking of upper tier, let's talk about Boston for a second because the Celtics have just kind of chugged along you know, most yeah. of this season. Monster without, team, man. Without too many hiccups along the way. 20-5 and five right now as we record this uh, on Tuesday. Tied for the best record of the NBA with Minnesota. They're going to play, I believe, in the next uh, next week or two weeks, whatever it may be. Um, it. Like, I, I don't even know what the question is. Like, is there any reason to be, is there any reason to doubt Boston at this point? Like, I bring up all the time the fact that they don't really have a true seventh man mm-hmm. that they can rely on because Peyton Pritchard's been hit or miss. Sam Hauser, I don't trust yet. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the rest of them, you know, I don't know. And I look, I think the Celtics are going to try to get somebody. They've got the Grant right. Williams um, trade, uh, trade exception. They've got some draft capital still to deal. So I think they'll be active over the next couple of months. But even if they're not, like, their top six is so damn good. Like, the biggest fear the biggest fear for me is, like, Porzingis, who continues to have these little injuries that keep him out of the lineup. But when he's out there, like, it is round peg, round hole 
with Tatum and 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 Brown, like their on court numbers are ridiculous. The chemistry with Jalen Brown is is insane. Like you know, apparently they're like carpool buddies, so they're growing chemistry <laughs> off the court as well as on. Um, you know, Drew Holiday's shooting numbers aren't great, but they bring him in as much for defense and leadership as they are as perimeter shooting. Derek White is Derek White. Like, is there any reason to to not believe that this Celtics team is you know the team to beat in the NBA right now? So, first and foremost, let me say this team's a juggernaut. Um, they've exceeded the expectations I've had for them. It's funny because there was so much conversation about how much time Milwaukee needs. I wondered if there'd be an adjustment for Boston because with Porzingis, maybe they're going to play defense a little bit differently, etc. I mean, they've just hit the ground running, man. They've been fantastic with Holiday. Um, they have the best top six in the NBA. I don't think it's close. If you really want to nitpick, and this is you know establishing baseline, they're one of the best teams in the NBA. Nitpick, I think you'd say, do they get to the rim enough? Why are they so bad with Tatum off the floor, just considering how good everyone else is? Um, And can they stay healthy? Like, they're very top-heavy. The Porzingis-Horford thing is the only thing that gives me a little bit of worry, only because I've never really seen Porzingis play, you know, a full season and a finals run. That takes a toll on your body. Horford's getting up there. But they've done a good job surviving. And like you mentioned, if they're able to get someone, I think it could go a long way. The one thing that's really interesting is... I I have not expected Philly to be as good as they are. I mean, Philly's number one in the league in net rating. I was just looking up the lineup stats. There are 13 lineups that have played at least 200 minutes in the NBA this year. Boston's starting five, 19.6 net rating. Not surprising. Incredible. Philly's starting five is currently at a 34 net rating. Now, part of that is because they've just been, you know, going Godzilla mode on the Pistons and Wizards here for like an entire week, seemingly, which has helped juice the numbers a bit. To me, it's hard to separate Boston and Philly. I put Embiid number one in my MVP rankings. You know I'm a Jokic guy. Embiid is having an insane year. Too, yeah. yeah. So it's hard for me to separate them, but I, I have those two neck and neck, but incredibly impressed by how quickly Boston hit the ground running. Yeah, I am too. Um, you know, I, I don't have the same concerns about Joe Mazzulla that, you know, some other people do. I think Joe has improved mm-hmm. as a coach in his second full season. I've said many times he needed more brain power mm-hmm. on his bench. I think he got it. I think Charles Lee, from what I hear out of Boston, has been a really welcome addition to that group. Sam Cassell has, you know, brought some gravitas to that bench as a former player, who's also a head coach candidate in his own right. Um, you know, Porzingis is going to worry me all the way till the end of the season. I, I just. Yeah. He's just been it's, too injury prone. Four for rounds on top of the on. One thing we just always underrate is the physical and mental toll it takes to play four rounds of the playoffs after the regular season. Yeah, yeah, I think it's that's going to be the challenge. But you know, um, it, I I just I'll just say because you know I feel like I've seen I saw this like on the Reddit pod. They're like, are there any rivalries in the NBA? I feel like we just really underappreciate what we've seen them. in the East the last four years between like the Celtics Sixers and heat who have matched up all matched up in the playoffs a bunch of times, like Boston and Philly in the conference finals this year. I know that we haven't talked about the bucks on this show and they will have a say in that, but like that would be an all timer, man. That would be an all timer. Can you call it a rivalry? Would one team gets its ass kicked every single time? <laughs> like, I, I mean, mean I'm, not, I'm not being glib. Like, you know, every time true. Boston and Philly goes up against you on the playoffs, the Celtics win. 
So. Yes, but I mean, I do think Philly, even though the end was very embarrassing, acquitted itself well last year in that series, pushing it to seven games. I did not expect that. It's the moral um, victory? We're, we're talking moral victory? Right listen, now? I'm just saying that, you know, it would be a fun matchup, man. It would be a really fun matchup. I mean, watching them play in the regular would. season. Of course it would. Seeing, like, can, seeing the Celtics. Can 39-year-old Al Horford or whatever he's going to be, you know, push Joel yeah, and beat one, him out for one Yeah, one last series. battle with Embiid. I mean, watching... The Celtics put Drew Holiday on Embiid and then bring those doubles has yeah. been so fun. It's, man, I. They put Drew on so many man. bigs. Like, they used to put yeah. Marcus Smart in a lot of bigs. They put Drew on more. Uh, like, yeah. I, you know, and, uh, and he's better at Knicks it. Game, yeah. yeah. Like, he guards Randall consistently. Like, he's tough. You know, he's as versatile defender as, as they come in the league. Yeah, no, look, Waki, I mean, it, yeah. Go ahead. You know, go it'd, ahead. Be a fun, no, it'd be a fun matchup against Philly again. But, like, mm-hmm. it, it can't be a rivalry until one team wins. I, I know like, you're saying. How far it's, back does this go? I'm not saying it's like a classic, you know, it's not Heat, Knicks, or Bulls, Pacers, but it, I, I think there's been good intrigue in the East the last few years with kind of the top four with Miami, Milwaukee, yeah. Philly, and Boston. And it's been, I mean, we complain a lot about movement, but we've seen kind of main guys uh, stay with those teams for a few years now, and it's been fun. Milwaukee, man, I know that wasn't on the the rundown here, but I, I'm still so intrigued if their defense is going to – can it get to top 15 even? Um, to win, they're going to have to. We'll, we'll do right? that another day. That's that, yeah. that's a separate podcast on on the Bucks <laughs> and uh, what exactly they're doing. I want to finish though with the Grizzlies. The Ja Morant suspension is up. He is returning to the Grizzlies lineup. The question now, Rohan, is can Ja Morant save the Grizzlies season? Because right now. It is a season in desperate need of saving. They are 6-19, and 19, which is actually a better record than I thought they were going to have when yeah. John Morant came back and we saw them play a few weeks ago. They have lost five straight. They're 3-7 and seven in their last 10. They are 1-11 and 11 at home. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get Brutal. that mark. They're 1-11 at home, 5-8 and eight on the road. That, that's just surprising me. Uh, a point differential of minus 6.8. They have the worst offense in the NBA. Uh, they still, I think, have a top 10 defense, but... They have the worst offense in the NBA. Um, John Morant's absence has been the biggest problem for Memphis. But as you know, it hasn't been the only problem, right? Yep. Like they're missing Brandon Clark, probably done for the year. Steven they're Adams. They're missing Steven Adams, definitely Smart done missed for the time. Year. Yeah. Smart has missed some time. So, you know, it's going to be a jolt of energy and a jolt of talent getting John Morant back in the lineup. But right now, as we tape this... The Memphis Grizzlies are seven and a half games. No, eight and a half games. Is it eight? I'm doing my math wrong. Seven and a half half games behind Phoenix for the Phoenix City number 10. This season's so weird. Uh, Behind Phoenix for the uh, 10th spot in the uh, play-in tournament, last spot in the play-in tournament. Um, Is it too late? We're only about a quarter plus way through the season. Can John Morant and his presence salvage things from Memphis? So you look at Phoenix at 10, right? And they're 14 and 12. Behind them is Golden State at 12 and 14. Every team, 1 through 11 in the West, is actively trying to win. Like, no no tankers, no stealth tankers. No, we're going to go on a losing streak and start tanking. So, the only team they, you know, they don't have to really worry about Utah, I think, long term. If Phoenix is 14 and 12 and in the 10th spot, I mean, you have to imagine, let's say they have to get to 41 and 41 just to make the play-in. That means they have to go 35-22. and 22. And that's, that's assuming Ja comes, comes back and is great right away, doesn't get hurt. I mean, if Ja gets hurt, they're right back in the same 
scenario and he does he does have injury issues mm. i i don't see it happening i just don't see it happening i it's that's just to make the 10th spot the play in and then you know phoenix you have to imagine at some point it's going to be a little bit better the lakers are back in there only because of us uh, i don't see it man i really don't yeah i i look i don't think john morant's going to play in every game once he's back. I think there is going to be kind of an easing in process. I know he's been practicing with the team, but uh, I don't think he's going to hit the ground running and be the guy we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, I, the home road record just drives me wild. Like, how are you this bad <laughs> at home? That's one of the great home court advantages in the NBA. I love. Oh, and then what is when it's bumping there? Grind man, down, and oh, awesome. It's great. It's great. But I just think it's, if they if they had all their guys right, if Brandon mm-hmm. Clark was back, if Stephen Adams was playing, because those guys have been a, a big loss, especially Adams yeah. with his physicality in the middle, they've really missed that having to play Jaron Jackson more at five. That just right. doesn't work for them. Um, I'd be more optimistic. I think they're going to make a run. I, I think they'll be in the play in mix at the end, um, but they're going to need like Houston to collapse, and I don't really see that coming. Uh, they're going to need Golden State to collapse. I don't really see that coming. Like, I think they'll leapfrog Utah, which has no real incentive to win. They're probably going to break up the team with you know some kind of deal at some point. But can they get ahead of Golden State? Can they get ahead of Phoenix? Can they put together the kind of winning percentage you're talking about to get into that play? And I'm going to say no. I, I think they'll, they'll obviously be better. Um, but no, I think they missed the playoffs this year. That's my prediction with play yeah. the play in this year too like i don't think i mean it, they, they were dealt losing adams for the season two when they did just really made it so difficult i mean it's such a terrible start to the season smart's injury uh you know he had that ankle injury that couldn't have come at a worse time like yeah it, i it's unfortunate they, they are such a, a fun and exciting team when it's all rolling but th- this was this was too much for any team to overcome i think and who knows? Maybe maybe they somehow end up with a really good lottery spot, and this kind of ends up being like a, a blessing in disguise season. Um, and there's still something good that comes from it. But uh, yeah, man, that's a that's a big climb. Yeah, in years past, they've been able to tread water in games that John Morant missed. In fact, in some years, they've been really good in games that John Morant missed. But no Tyus Jones this year to kind of step in and and be that uh just kind of ease that transition mm-hmm. uh, i don't think it's been smart's fault i think smart's fine just no just i mean and it's also like situation. smart you know they had smart had to replace tyus jones and dylan brooks like that yeah, yeah, that was yeah, tough yeah yeah, yeah that, that that was too much for them to overcome yeah i think they missed the playoffs but um maybe right maybe a little lottery pick and hey maybe they're back in contention uh next year all right we will be back rohan next week and when this show comes back we'll talk pistons basketball with Amari Sankofa. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. 
Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's plenty to celebrate in March and Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. All right, the Detroit Pistons are one big fat mess. The Pistons have lost 24 games in a row in the aftermath of the loss in Atlanta on Monday night. The showdown against Utah on Thursday might be their last chance to avoid uh, a historically long losing streak. So I'm trying to figure out why and how Detroit got itself into this mess. To help me out with all this is the man that has the fortune, we'll call it, to cover it from start to finish. Uh, Omari Sankofa, he is the Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. He's the co-host of the Pistons Pulse podcast with Motor City Hoops. Um, Mario, I was telling you before we went on the air here that, you know, I was watching this Pistons Hawks game on Monday night in the Lakers press room, and it has become kind of a rubbernecking experience where, you know, you're, you're not watching to be entertained. You're watching out of sheer morbid curiosity to see if this is the day, this is the game that the Detroit Pistons end this ridiculous streak. So uh, let me start with this question. I know it's got a million answers, but... At the top of your list of why the Pistons are here, like what would you put? What would you say is the number one reason that this team has lost 24 games in a row? I mean, there's a few things that come to mind. It seems like a lot of things have sort of crashed at the same time leading to where the team is now. But if there's a number one thing, I would just say, this team's just not ready. Uh, you, you look at the roster, uh, Cade Cunningham, he had 43 points last night. Boyan had a good night. Uh, you look at the rest of the young guys, and I don't know if, if they necessarily have the talent floor they need to truly compete. They have had some injuries, to be fair. Uh, Jalen Durant's missed the last couple of weeks. He's had ankle soreness, so I think he's missed uh, a little bit more than half the season at this point. And they have some other events who have missed time. Boyan's when he played five or six games. Monte Morris hasn't played, but to lose 24 straight games and you look at teams in the past who have had those types of losing streaks, you usually look at those rosters and you see down the road that maybe only a handful of those guys were, you know, true starters, right? You have a lot of guys who could maybe play roles, but I think the Pistons have a lot of players who are being asked to do uh, just probably too much for where they are right now. And you combine that with uh, just the amount of row overlap, but they have a lot of centers, but done that can really protect the rim the way that they need. Uh, they have guys who can shoot on paper, but 
few of those guys have struggled and uh, all this stuff is just sort of combined to where the team is now where they're two and 25 at the one third mark. Yeah. I mean, you, you covered pretty much everything there. Um, you know, you know, when I watch them, I see a team that has what, like maybe one plus defender, you know, I think, you know, Thompson's a, a plus defender. I'm not sure who else on that team is, you know, a plus defender, uh, too many centers, not a lot of rim protectors, too much being put on, players like Cade Cunningham. This, to me, Omar, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of what the Houston Rockets were the last couple of years, where they just threw a bunch of young guys out there and crossed their fingers and hoped that it would all kind of pan out. It, it didn't. You know, Steven Silas ultimately got fired for it. And this year, and I give all the credit to Ime Udoka for installing the system and the discipline that he has, but they also added Fred Van Vliet. They also added Dylan Brooks. This roster in Detroit just screams for uh, experienced veterans. Like, they should put a help-wanted sign out there outside of Little Caesars Arena saying, please, if you're a veteran who can play a little bit and command respect in the locker room, we want you here. That, that feels like the fatal flaw of this roster. Because, look, I, I still think Cade Cunningham is really good. I mean, he saw, you know, Monday night, he was he was excellent scoring the basketball. I still think they have young guys that can play it's just for whatever reason that front office did not bring in you know the kind of veterans that could help mold this thing together do you, do you think there's a reason for that like was that just an oversight by this Troy Weaver front office or why, why do you think this roster is missing those types of pieces oversight's a good word for it uh, they really came into this season expecting to take a leap forward. Uh, they were pretty clear on media day, uh, Troy, Arn, uh, just people in the front office, that this team would um, begin to have payoffs for just the years of building that have led to this point. And I think that's reflected in their offseason priorities as well. Uh, they had a lot of cap space that could have gone after uh, a, a Cam Johnson or a Kyle Kuzma or uh, what this roster is really lacking is just a big wing who can shoot and defend, or wings in general who can do both of those things. It's either one or the other, and uh, it's been tough for money to find good combinations, I think, because of that. But uh, they essentially just traded to preserve their cap space. Uh, they traded for Joe Harris, uh, who's making around $20 million this season. Uh, he just has to bend his usual self. I think he's shooting around 30% from three. Uh, he's had some injuries, so you know I'm just not sure if he's recovered fully from those, but he has a bit of floor spacer that they need. And then Monte Morris, who's, of course, one of the better uh, backup point guards in the league and uh, a flank guy as well. So, you know, this is the team he, he grew up watching. And then he's just had unfortunate injury luck. But those were the only two veteran additions over the summer. And I think you look at those moves and that kind of illustrates, okay, they expect that these young guys are going to start to fill in those other gaps. And you have Boyan Bogdanovic, who averaged... um about 21 last season, but like really, really efficiently. And they just overestimated, I think, how ready uh, this roster would would, would be. Uh, I think if you look back and if you add a Kuzma or somebody like that to this roster, you're probably not losing 24 straight games. So just, I think they just overestimated the, the growth level uh, for these guys and watching this team, it still feels like they're probably a year off from some of these guys really, really maturing into the players they need them to be. Where do you think that they're most disappointed because like I, Killian Hayes clearly is not probably not gonna be on the team next year. He can't really play uh, not at the level they wanted to play at or that he should be playing at as a lottery pick. But is there like 
you know, they, they had to have had, to your point, some optimism coming into this year that maybe they're not a playoff team, but hey, maybe when we get to like March, we're, you know, con, you know, coming together and we're competing kind of for a play-in spot. We're giving us some momentum going into the next season. Like this team has been in the lottery, it feels like forever. Four straight years, but only two playoff appearances in like the last 15. Like it, it, you actually have to try to be this bad, I think. Like you really have to try because... You know, you see teams like Oklahoma City, for example. They bottom out. They get high draft picks. They do well with them. They start to turn things around. Other teams are other examples as well. But like, wh- where do you think the most disappointment lies um, within the organization? I would say probably just that this is taking longer, maybe than somebody would have expected. I think if even if you look at this team, maybe having like four or five wins, right? So you're not the worst team, but not losing twenty four straight, but you're still firmly in, in that bottom tier uh, with the the Spurs and the the Wizards. I think both those teams have about four wins right now. And you're not seeing the progress that you would want to see uh, for a rebuild that started at the studs. And now you're and two and two teams um, and two teams, Amar, that are like, you know, Spurs and Wizards, they're kind of happy to be bad. Spurs are like, yeah. you know, whatever. We'll just get through this season. Wizards, like none of those guys are going to be on no. the roster when the Wizards finally turn around. This is the the team the Pistons want, or at least some of the core guys are the guys the Pistons want. Right. So just even losing streak aside, I mean, even if this team were like 15% better, I still think that would be short of what the team wanted to see. And this wasn't a playoff or bus season by any means. Like, I think even if they missed a play-in, there still would have been satisfactory growth if this team does maybe what Orlando did last season where you get a little bit healthier and then they played almost 500 basketball the rest of the way and they fell sort of the play-in, but you could see that players are growing up. You have the depth. You can identify a couple of other areas of need over the offseason, and then you come back next season, and then you can really begin to climb up the ladder. Or even Indiana last season, and they're the same boat now where Tyrese is a superstar and um, you know they're really playing some solid basketball. So I think that's what Detroit – anticipated for itself and i mean 225 is a disaster of course but i think even just five six wins would have really not been what this team wanted to see at this point in the rebuild so they're just really far behind at this point you're around Cade cunningham every day um what kind of toll is this taking on him because you know we've seen in the past like you know sometimes young guys can rebound from a tough start to their career. Other times it can have a lasting impact on them. They never turn out to be the kind of players that uh, maybe they would have been in different situations. Like what kind of toll is this taking on Cade? You know, in our interactions with him, uh, he's, it seems like he still has his head on. Uh, We talked to him last night. Uh, We talked to him after their previous game in Milwaukee, uh, which they lost by 32 and that was he's bad. just been that, that was, was yeah they also lost to by 32 to philly the night before that and then the week before that i, I see some memes out there we like of banners like the pistons lost by single digits <laughs> last night that's when you know it's getting ugly yeah no i mean that's that was by far their most competitive game in probably a couple of weeks it's been it's been bad but Cade, i think he's been handling it fine i mean as fine as you can handle this type of thing this early into your career uh part of that is that he talked about the dark place he was in last season, only playing 12 games. He's having shin surgery, and you're in the year two, you're the number one pick. You want to really establish yourself, and he couldn't do that. So I think for him, it's the frustration of just not winning games, being in the situation that, you know, I don't want to say hopeless, like there's still two-thirds of the season left, but it just couldn't have gone worse. But along with that, he's on the court, he's playing. Uh, his last 13 games have been much better than the first 14 since they've gotten some guys back. 
and he could be a part of the solution uh, whatever that solution may be i mean who knows how this is going to play out at this point but uh, i think for kate just the fact that he was not even on the court last season and he says he was in this dark place has made this season maybe easier for him to, to put in context right like we're not always going to be this bad things could change i have confidence in myself i have confidence in the in the group we have and that's what he's projected through all of this so I'll be for that 22 year old guy. That's probably the best you could hope. You wrote a great column uh, on, on the free press about kind of Tom Gore's positing kind of what Tom Gore's the owner of the Pistons ultimately does, or if he does anything in a situation like this, I, I got to believe that this Thursday game is like a line of demarcation. Like it, this, this is like the closest thing to a must win the Pistons and the people within that organization have. You've got a Jazz team that's not very good, that's going to be coming off a back-to-back, you're at home. Like, you got to win this. Uh, you know, what's your read on kind of what, what, if anything, ownership might do if this continues to go in a negative direction? We appreciate the compliment on the column. And what I was getting at with it was just, I think there's just a feeling of just, like, what the heck happened? Uh, you're 27 games into the season and you've lost 24 straight. And then you go back to last season where they lost 23 of the last 25 and had separate 11 game losing streaks. And this team has lost a lot. I mean, since Tom Gores bought the, the team 12 or 13 years ago, and now he finally embraces this patient approach, you're not trading for Blake Griffin. You're not trying to get just like big name free agents. You're like really playing this process out, like quote unquote, the right way. And, you know, it seems on pace to be one of the worst in NBA history. Like, it's already probably the worst team in franchise history, given that they've exceeded their in-season, their previous in-season record for a losing streak, like 10 games over at this point. Like, and for this to play out the way it has so quickly, uh, you know, you almost beat Miami opening night, and then you beat Charlotte, then you beat Chicago, and then the wheels just fall completely off somehow. I still think there is a feeling of how did we get to this low point so fast and that's probably why there's been some trepidation as far as what well, did we blow this up now? I mean, we've built this thing for four years. You know, there's not one person who's responsible. This was like a joint effort to get to this, this team to where it is now. And, you know, the train is completely derailed in like less than a third of the, the, the season. I think there's just some feeling of what is the way out? You know, like there's no quick fix or quick solution for this, obviously. Uh, you look at this Utah game, like you said, that's, you know, like a must win just because it's not going to get easier after that. They play Brooklyn twice, and then they play Boston. Uh, Boston yeah. And then you have a West Coast wing. Bad, you play Houston, yeah. uh, Golden State. But, I mean, not that those teams are like, amazing, but they're still clearly a tier above where the Pistons are. And and we'll see. Uh, they've had games in the streak that were like winnable games, but they got beat pretty handily at home by the Wizards. Um, and they were like, that game was basically competing to like not be the worst. Like the loser of that game would have been the worst in the NBA. And the, and, and the Wizards the manhandled them down the stretch yeah. in that game. That was bad. Yeah. Like I, again, like I'm, I'm now hate watching. Honestly, like I don't <laughs> put, I don't put a ton of Pistons yeah. game on early in the season. But then when that losing streak hit like ten, you start to kind of like just watch it like you're watching a car crash. And, and right. watching the Wizards who have nothing to play for. Jordan Poole's out there playing freelance. Like he's like watching them manhandle Detroit down the stretch was was wild to see. And, and that kind of like. You know, look, I thought Monty Williams was a great hire at the time. It didn't go well for him at the end in Phoenix. It didn't, you know, connect with DeAndre Ayton, whatever. But you go back, you know, further with a young team in New Orleans, and he vibed with that team. Like, it mm -hmm. worked. Like, that. when you look back, Monty Williams' time in New Orleans actually ages pretty well, I think, with how things kind of went uh, after he left there. But 
I don't know. Like, you know, you can only look at the record here, but you're around them. Like, is he connecting with them? Is he, uh, where does he stand with all this? I mean, he hasn't so far. I think there's been an extended process for him just getting a feel for the roster, like how to utilize certain guys. But I think what's complicated for that is just the number of players who kind of play similar roles. Uh, you have Marvin Bagley, Jalen Duran, and uh, like, you know, you have guys that, and James Wiseman, who all play similar roles. You know, they're all picking mm-hmm. row bigs on offense. None of those guys are really the rim protectors they need. Uh, the Pistons to be. Uh, I know early on I tweeted like Wiseman and Bagley are competing for the backup big spot, and it kind of got interpreted as oh, these two guys were n- number two picks. They're competing for backup. That wasn't really the story. The story was that they are very similar players, and mm-hmm. you can't play both of them. So you have four bigs, and they don't re- really fit. And then you have the amount of guards. They were playing Jaden Ivy off ball, and he was more of a point guard last season. But uh, you have Killian, you have Marcus Sasser, you have Kate, you have all these on ball guys. Somebody's got to play off ball, but it's just. The roster is not necessarily filling the roles that I think Monty needs uh, for his offense or defense to click. Uh, so it's a personnel issue. But he'll also admit himself that he just has not really broken through with this team as far as just getting them. Uh, they're really just not getting to the point where they're not turning the ball over at a prolific rate or like just committing a lot of bad fouls. Like that's what really plagued him the first month was just um, jumping into shooters, uh, you know, like just over contesting a lot of stuff that you should be able to coach out of a team. They're just not getting past that. Then there, there's this whole other layer of, okay, so how do we actually win a game that we're cutting out some of the simple mistakes? So, um, no, I mean, he hasn't done what he's needed to done so far. Uh, it seems like they're still on the same page. He's talked about, and Kay's talked about just the text and conversations they've had through it. But so far, that hasn't really worked out, I think, how either side expected it would. Yeah, the Jaden Ivey situation is weird because I liked him a lot last year. And, and for whatever reason this year, it, it just like, it seems like he and Monty. Armani just isn't on the same page with him. Mm -hmm. Armani's not using him in the same way that he was used last year. Am I reading that right? Like what's, what's been that, that situation? Yeah, I think, I think Monty just has a very different read on the read on the top of type of player uh, Ivy is, or maybe the type of player he wants Ivy to be. Uh, He did really struggle defensively early. And I think that, uh, that just along with him also being a bit turnover prone. And then you have a guy in Killian Hayes who, I mean, on a team that was like last in the NBA and turnovers, uh, Killian had like the best assisted turnover assisted turnover ratio on the entire team, and uh, defensively is a little bit more capable. So I think Monty just prioritized those things early, and that didn't lead to winning. Uh, so now we've seen Ivy kind of come into the fold a bit more, but uh, you know, again, Ivy's not like a pure point. You know, he's more of a downhill combo guard, and I think for Monty, it's just been tough to qu- sort of decode or crack his game in context with the rest of the roster. I think he sees them as more of an off-ball type of player. They've been playing Cade more off-ball. And, you know, Killian's been like the de facto point guard. But if Cade and Ivy are occupying the same spot, then who's going to get the short end of the, the stick there? So I think there's a number of things weighing against Ivy. And uh, some of that stuff could correct itself just if they make any moves that balances the roster out. But we also have to see, because to an extent, like Ivy has been uh, punished on some things that other guys have gotten a little bit more of a pass on. So is there, like, if you're looking for a silver lining here, looking for a reason to believe the Pistons can salvage something of this season, like, where is it? If they beat Utah on Thursday, uh, granted, the schedule is tough. Like you said, they do have to go out on the road. That Boston game could get horrendously ugly. Um, But is there something there that, that maybe, you know, Pistons fans can hang their hats on, that, like, this, this may be, you know, you look at the second half of the season, things could get better. 
I think you just have to see internal growth. Like the record is the record at this point. Uh, you mm-hmm. lose as much as they've lost. Uh, just the odds of them getting to the threshold they wanted to get to at this point is pretty slim. So can Cade Cunningham continue to get better? Can Jaden Ivey get better? Uh, can Duran get healthy and then show some of the flashes he showed in those first three games where he was just pretty overall dominant defensively? At this point, it's just wanting to see signs that we at least have the team at least has the players they need to eventually turn this around. They don't have it right now, but they need to have a better idea of just what they have in general, especially with Kate. Like, this is his third season. He's going to be extension eligible. So uh, some of these guys are going to have to get paid. So, you know, Ivy and, mm. and Duran will be in that boat after next season. And you have some really pressing decisions that are coming up pretty rapidly. So you need to get as much information as you can out of this season. Uh, whatever the record is, like, the record just is what it is, but you need to have an idea of, I guess, your hierarchy going forward and uh, who you can actually build around. I love it. Guys from a potential single digit win team, like, we got to get paid. <laughs> Time to get paid, man. <laughs> Time oh, yeah. to get that money. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, well, Mark, good luck, man. Uh, I know it's a tough job covering a team that's scuffling the way the Pistons are scuffling. You're doing great work uh, over there for the free press. And I do encourage people to read that column about you know what ownership may ultimately have to do or what they might do in a situation like this over at uh, the free press website. Uh, appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks for joining me, man. No, absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- craft month with the perfect pizza at home class from craftsy and anytime is right to listen to iheart radio's iheart country radio discover more shows and movies for free i'm dr sanjay gupta cnn's chief medical correspondent and this is chasing life three out of four u.s adults are considered overweight or have obesity 75 percent of americans dr fatima cody stanford Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.